All right, you may be seated. Sound like I was about to take off there. It's probably my bad for not turning the, the mic off. Say. All right. Well, good morning. Aren't you thankful for the love and truth of Jesus this morning? Thankful for this beautiful and wonderful opportunity we have to come before the Lord uh, to hear his word. What a gift of his grace. And this morning we'll be back in the Gospel of Mark. So you guys can turn to Mark chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 13. It has been a while, uh, April, since the last time uh, preaching in the Gospel of Mark. So we are going to finish up the transfiguration of Jesus Christ today, Mark 9, 1 through 13. So while you're turning there, just in way of reminder, we are in the last year of the public ministry of Christ. Mark chapter 8 was a very important chapter where Peter and the disciples were finally understanding Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and Peter made that great confession. And in their minds, and their limited understanding, that meant the fullness of the kingdom was going to come right then. Jesus was going to wipe out the Romans. There was going to be peace. There was going to be prosperity. They were already having conversations of who was going to sit on the right hand and on the left hand of Jesus. But then Jesus began to teach them further in Mark 8, 31 through 33. Well, the suffering servant must first be persecuted by the religious leaders. He must die, be buried, and resurrected. And in order for you to be a part of my kingdom, Mark 8, 34 through 38 talked about you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, and follow me. And in that first century context, when you think about the Romans and you think about the cross, every one of those disciples would have known what that meant. It was the form of execution. And so Jesus was getting at, you must die to yourself. You got to repent of your sin and trust in Christ alone if you want to be a part of his kingdom. And so as we come to Mark chapter 9 and the transfiguration, you need to understand the disciples were confused and they were somewhat discouraged. They were trying to wrap their hearts and their minds about who Jesus was and what his kingdom was. Have you ever been there? Not fully understanding what God is doing in your life? Probably we all have, haven't we? And so the main thrust of the transfiguration was for Jesus to manifest his glory, to manifest his power, to give them a glimpse of his kingdom and to minister to the hearts of his disciples. You see, Jesus was very loving with them. Jesus was very patient. For three, three and a half years, he took them under his wing and he trained and equipped them and discipled them and loved them and cared for them through all of their shortcomings. By the way, aren't you thankful that Jesus is patient with us? May we be patient with one another. 
One last thing, and then we'll read the passage. We're going to see this morning, it was also very, very important that these disciples, and I would say the same for us today, had a right understanding of the true gospel. And that the true gospel was going to be communicated. And that same message needs to be heard today. So let's read Mark 9, 1 through 13, and then we'll pray. And he said unto them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen, until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And so they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, how did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said unto them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Let's pray together. Father, I simply pray this morning that you would hide me behind the cross that you would be glorified, that your word would go forth. It's living, it's active. God, you surely don't need me this morning. Help me just to be a mouthpiece of the truth of your word. And God, you do the work that only you can do in the hearts of each man, woman, boy and girl that's here physically or listening via Facebook. Be glorified. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Let me take just a brief journey through verses 1 through 8, just because we have covered that, but it was two months ago. Okay, so there's not really any points. I'm just going to give a brief summary, and then 9 through 13 is where we're going to really spend the majority of our time. So look back at verse 1. So Jesus... He, he's talking to the disciples. They're in the midst of a crowd. If you go back to Mark 8, and he says to them, there are some standing who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And there's a lot of debate of exactly what he's getting at, and we kind of walked uh, through that. But what we do know is six days later in verse 2, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. He leads them up a high mountain to spend time with them, and then he's transfigured before them. And so they, they get a glimpse of the power, the kingdom, the glory of Christ. I mean, 
It's so easy for us to read that of this great miracle. Jesus, his glory is manifested. The, the veil is kind of taken back of his humanity and they see the Shekinah glory of God. Just like Moses, the Ten Commandments, Mount Sinai, just like in the tabernacle when the presence of God would come, the temple in the Old Testament, they are seeing the glory, the power of God. Now, we also understand the kingdom of God, the power of God, the glory of God. Uh, you see through uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Uh, you see it through the coming of the Holy Spirit of the day of Pentecost. Uh, you see God's judgment and his glory of when Jerusalem was destroyed uh, by the Romans in 70 AD and this ushering in of the new covenant, of the old covenant being done away. And so there's all these manifestations of the kingdom of God, and we talk through all of those. But look now at verse 3. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them or no fuller could bleach them. There, there was a, a whiteness, a, a brightness, a, a manifestation of the glory of God that really it's hard to put into words. And now... While they're there, verse 4, there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And so you have these two great men of the faith. You think about Moses of the Old Testament. You think of the law of God. He was a great prophet, and God spoke to him uh, face to face, and he gives the, the Ten Commandments uh, to Moses. And so Moses is probably representing the law of God here. And then we have the great prophet Elijah. And by the way, when you think about great manifestations of miracles, Moses, Elijah, are just two periods of time of these great miracles uh, that we see in the Old Testament. And so Elijah probably representing uh, the prophets. By the way, Matthew 22, where Jesus commanded uh, the disciples the two great commandments, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor uh, as yourself. And what was fulfilled in those two commandments? the law, and the prophets. And so Jesus ultimately is the fulfillment of all of that. So they're having this conversation with Jesus. If you go to other gospels, they were talking about ultimately the death of Christ, the, the cross. Verse 5, Peter then says to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Verse 6, he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. I mean, I'm sure they were terrified. They were in the presence of God. They were seeing the glory, the power of God before them. Peter doesn't really know what to say, but in typical Peter fashion, he still said something anyway. And so we talked about that. Sometimes it's just good for us to zoop, to not say anything. So Peter says something. He's probably, again, thinking physical kingdom. God had delivered the Israelites from the Egyptians. You, know, you had the, uh, the celebration of the tabernacles. And so we, we know the 40 years of wandering. They lived in the, the tabernacle, uh, the, the presence of God in the tabernacle, and they lived in the tents around uh, the tabernacle. And so in Peter's mind, you know, as they're celebrating this, maybe it would be good if there were three tents, one for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Verse 7, a cloud overshadows them. That's the Shekinah glory, the presence of God. And then look at what it says. A voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. So basically, God is telling Peter, zip, zip it and listen to Jesus. Jesus had already rebuked Peter in Mark chapter 8. 
when he had a wrong understanding of the gospel, a wrong understanding of the kingdom. And so we know in another occasion with the baptism is uh, the God the Father speaking from heaven. So by the way, this helps us see the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so God is speaking here that we need to listen to Jesus. Verse 9, excuse me, verse 8, suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. So by the way, as great as Moses and Elijah were, they are sinners. They were sinners just like us. Only Jesus. We worship Christ. He's the fulfillment of everything. He is the great high priest. He is the great king. He is the great prophet. He is the great law law maker. And so now we come to verses 9 and 10, and this is where we'll spend the majority of our time. The first truth I want you to see is the gospel must be understood rightly. The gospel must be understood rightly. Look at verse 9. They're coming down the mountain. Jesus charges them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So after the transfiguration, Peter, James, John are coming down the mountain with Jesus. This is probably uh, around Caesarea Philippi. If you go back to Mark 8, get the context. This great mountain, probably Mount Hermon, uh, roughly 9,000 feet above sea level. So if you've ever climbed a mountain, done some mountain hiking, 9,000 feet. Robert, we can appreciate this. I know you just did a little bit of hiking. 9,000 feet would have been probably higher than where you went. There. Yeah. It would have taken them several hours to come down, which was a perfect time for Jesus, just life on life ministry. He's teaching them, sharing with them. They probably prayed together, they probably cried together, probably laughed together. By the way, a little application for us. We probably make ministry a lot more formal and harder than it really is supposed to be. Ministry is simply loving God, loving his word, and loving one another. When we gather for our connect groups, you know what the word connect the whole point of that is connect with God, connect with his word, and connect with one another. Ministry can be as simple as grabbing a cup of coffee with someone, reading some scripture, praying, sharing life. That's right. We love our coffee. Don't we, Pastor Tom? Jesus was sharing life with the disciples. Now, Phil, we were having the conversation earlier. Jesus, in doing that, did it with absolute perfection. We don't. So be patient with one another. I may sin against you. You may sin against someone else. Someone may sin against you. And we can apply the gospel, can't we? We can forgive as Christ has forgiven us. But we'll move on here. 
Jesus has something to teach them specifically. He charges them, tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man, which is a Messianic title, we've talked about that, it's Jesus the Messiah, had risen from the dead. Why would Jesus say such a thing? Did Jesus not understand the transfiguration of what just happened? The full manifestation of the power and the glory of God that was right before them? This would have been front page news. This would have made Facebook, right? Instagram. We live in the, the time of social media where something happens just like that. Everybody has to know everything that's going on. Does Jesus not understand how significant this is, how important this is, and how quickly all of this needs to go forth? You know, I thought about my, my daughter, Callie. She taught me about the, the be real thing on Instagram. I'm like, I'm always trying to be real, but that wasn't really what it was about. And, you know, you got all this social media. Doesn't Jesus understand that he could, like, take a picture right now, you know, with the disciples, and he could be the most popular person ever? And I'm being really facetious. Yes, Jesus understood everything. And guys, it wasn't about popularity. It wasn't about being famous. And it wasn't about prosperity. And let me say that to us, speaking to the church. It's not about popularity. It's not about prosperity. It's not about how big our church is and how famous we are, is it? not all at all about that so Jesus puts forth this charge because a right understanding of the gospel and a right communication of the gospel is of utmost importance it's 1st Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 6 the gospel is of first importance what is the gospel It's the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ Jesus didn't come to be famous he came as the suffering servant to pay the penalty for the sins of his people. He came to defeat sin. He, de he came to defeat death. He came to set the captives free. It's the gospel. That's what it's about. Turn to John chapter 6. You'll see this in another place. John 6, 13 through 15. There was another occasion where Jesus had performed a great miracle, the feeding of the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. Look at the response at the end of John 6, 13 through 15. So they gathered them up and they filled the 12 baskets with the fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that they had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who's come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. It wasn't about an earthly kingdom. Because you see, if Jesus wouldn't have died on the cross, there is no salvation. Let me say that again. If Jesus didn't go to the cross and die the death that we all deserve for the penalty of our sin, there is no salvation. We would all spend eternity suffering God's wrath and judgment 
for our sin. Jesus knew if they lost the gospel, they lost everything. Pastor Doug said that before, Pastor Jim said that before, and I'm saying it now. If you lose the gospel, you lose everything. This was a defining moment for these apostles. They had to understand who Jesus was, what his kingdom was about, and what the gospel is. I ask you this morning, do you really know who Jesus is? Do you really know the gospel? Has the gospel of Jesus Christ gripped your heart? You know, I thought about my son, Daniel. Like, you could know about Daniel that he's a really good basketball player. And I would agree with that statement. I would say he's the best pastor in Okeechobee County. I heard that, Titus. But if that's all you know about my son, Daniel, you don't really know Daniel. You don't understand that he's kind and he's loyal and he's committed. He's one of the most committed people that I know. Now, that's a human example, right? It's important that we get to know one another. But you hear me, because this is the false gospel today. If you only think of Jesus as a miracle worker and as a healer, you don't understand who Jesus is. And you don't understand the gospel. If you just simply think the gospel is about making your life better, building your self-esteem, you don't understand the gospel of the Bible. And that is the false gospel that is being preached all across this world. And if we don't stick to the book, it'll be the same thing right here at Everglades Baptist Church. This is why Jesus told them, go back to the text, go back to Mark. Verse 9, tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Because he knew if it became all about the transfiguration, they were going to have a big parade, everybody was coming in, and they were going to try to make Jesus the king right then and there. And that's not why he came. Now, is Jesus a miracle worker? Yes, he is. Is Jesus the healer? Yes, he is. Is Jesus the coming king and he will establish his kingdom? Yes, he will. But he's also Isaiah 53, Psalms 22, the suffering servant, cross, his death. And we can't miss that. Look at verse 10. They kept the matter to themselves questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. They were trying to trust Jesus. Okay. We're going to do what Jesus says, but they still didn't really get it. And you'll see throughout the Gospel of Mark, he constantly is telling them, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going to be resurrected. 
But I, I kind of wrestled with, when you go back to verse 9, why did he tell them until the Son of Man had risen from the dead? The reason why he told them that, because that's when they got it. When they finally experienced the resurrection, and even then some doubted in Matthew 28, but the resurrection comes, Jesus is alive, he gives them the Holy Spirit 50 days later, and it's like, yes, Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2 an amazing spirit-filled, word-empowered sermon. Jesus knew they had to first experience the resurrection, the resurrection power of Jesus. Have you experienced that this morning? Has your dead heart in sin been made alive in Christ? Do you understand this morning that apart from Jesus, you're dead, you're helpless, you can't do anything to save yourself. But when you look to Christ, you look to Christ. He's the resurrection and the life. You're forgiven. You're set free. He sets you free from the power of sin. He paid the penalty to pay the penalty of sin. And one day, he sets us free from the presence of sin. The new heavens and the new earth. All right, I probably have beat a dead horse, as they say. A right understanding of the gospel is of first importance. And he knew the disciples had to have that, so they would then communicate the gospel rightly. All right, second truth. Good news is there's only two truths this morning. Verses 11 through 13. They then asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? So the second truth I want you to understand this morning from verses 11 through 13, a right understanding of the gospel is rooted in the Old Testament. A right understanding of the gospel is rooted in the Old Testament. Sometimes people struggle with the Old Testament. So even though we're not bound by the civil and the ceremonial laws anymore, Christ has fulfilled all in the new covenant, we need to study our Old Testament. The same God of the New Testament is the same God of the Old Testament. God is holy. He's righteous. He's pure. He's love. He's grace. He's mercy. Old and new. It is not a different God. And if you really want to understand who the Messiah is, if you really want to have a full understanding of who Jesus is, you have to understand the law. You have to understand the prophets. Pastor Tom, we were talking about Hebrews the other day. When you read the book of Hebrews, it's taking you back. It's taking you back. It's taking you back to the Old Testament, but then it's also showing you Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is the fulfillment. We need a good foundation of the Old Testament. So in this case, look at verse 11. They're trying to understand the role of the prophet Elijah. Now, they had just seen Moses and Elijah in the transfiguration. The scribes, the Jewish religious leaders, had taught that Elijah must come first before the kingdom of God, before the Messiah. Everything was established. The disciples were convinced that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, so in their mind, where's Elijah? 
I'm glad you asked the same question that they were asking, right? Isaiah chapter 40. Go there. All right, as Pastor Doug would say, in honor of him, since he's not here this morning, we're going to geek out a little bit. So get your fingers ready. We're going to do a little turning. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 5. Remember I told you, you've got to have a good understanding of the Old Testament to appreciate the New. I'm going to show you that, just a very small little glimpse here of, about Elijah. Isaiah 40, 1 through 5. Here we go. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So when you go back to verse 3, there's this voice crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. In that context and culture, it was very common. There would be a forerunner. There would be a preparation for wherever that king was going to be going. There was preparation. Who was the forerunner? Elijah. And we'll hold it there for a second. Go to Malachi chapter 4. The last prophet of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4. And there's a lot more we could read, but we're, we don't have time to read the whole Bible. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And so Elijah was that forerunner that was going to turn, come and turn the hearts of the people. Now let's go to the New Testament. Luke chapter 1 verse 17. Luke chapter 1, verse 17. Check this out. This is really cool. Context is talking about John the Baptist. Okay, I don't have time to read all of Luke 1, but verse 17. He will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So John the Baptist was the fulfillment of this prophecy coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. If that's not convincing enough, go to Matthew chapter 11, verse 14. And then we'll move on. Matthew eleven fourteen. Actually, I'll start in verse 13, Matthew 11, 13. It says, for all the prophets and the law, there you go again, prophets and the law, prophesied until John. That's why you need to understand the prophets and the law. Verse 14, and if you are willing to accept it, so are you willing to accept it this morning? He is Elijah who is to come. Well, guess what? You better accept it because it's God's word. It's what God has said. John the Baptist was the fulfillment 
A right understanding of the gospel is rooted in the Old Testament. I just gave you one little glimpse of that. All right, we're going to move forward. Go back to Mark chapter 9, verse 12. So in verse 11, they're asking, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? Verse 12, he says unto them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. So we just kind of walked through that. Elijah has come. John the Baptist came, prepared the way of the Lord. But then look at what Jesus does in verse 12. This is very interesting. Jesus completely turns this conversation, which he is prone to do. He gets asked questions or things are going one way, and Jesus turns it to what's most important. Look at what he does in verse 12. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things? And be treated with contempt. He's preaching the gospel to them again. They're wanting to understand about Elijah. By the way, a little application for us. Jesus doesn't get out all his charts on end times prophecy. And try to figure out every little detail. He doesn't do that, does he? Where does he go? He goes right to the heart of the gospel. Treated He's going to suffer the Son of Man and be treated with contempt. Jesus turns this conversation right back to the gospel, right back to the cross. Jesus was going to suffer many things. He was going to be treated with contempt, which means he was going to be despised, rejected. He wasn't even worthy of consideration. They were not going to take a democratic vote of if Jesus was going to be made king or not. They crucified him. Basically, Jesus is telling these disciples, for him to be the Messiah, he has to fulfill Isaiah 53, Psalms 22, etc., etc. So here's some application. When we share with unbelievers, it's okay to talk about other things, but let me encourage you, make a beeline to the cross. Charles Spurgeon said when he's preaching, I take my text and I make a beeline to the cross. Believers, we can have conversations about what angels look like if we want to have that. And that's okay, fine and dandy. But our conversations at some point should center around the gospel, the good news of Christ, the death, burial and resurrection of Christ. I've heard people say, you know, the gospel, that's kind of the simple things. Oh, no, no, no. You don't ever get over the gospel. The gospel is like an amazing, beautiful diamond that has all kinds of facets that you're constantly looking at. Yes, we study end times and you can study angels and all that other stuff. I'm not saying that that's not important, but nothing is of first and utmost importance as the gospel. And I'm telling you, this is why we get in trouble. It's happened all throughout church history, but modern day 21st century we get so focused on so many other things in the life of our churches, we forget what is of utmost importance. The gospel. Verse 13. Jesus then says, I tell you that Elijah has come. We already looked at that, John the Baptist. And they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. You know, Matthew 17, 13, we don't have time to turn there, but the disciples finally are understanding. He's talking about John the Baptist. And what did they do to John the Baptist? 
You're right, Miss Yvonne. They persecuted him. They rejected him. King Herod arrested him. And then ultimately, Herodias, King Herod had him beheaded. You want to talk about Elijah and John the Baptist? I mean, this is where you can geek out a little bit. Elijah had a king after him, didn't he? A wicked king, Ahab. And there was a wicked woman by his side, too. Y'all remember her name? Jezebel. And she, she made it real clear if it was up to her, she was going to take down Elijah. And that's when he went on the run, had his little pity party. I think it's First Kings 19, somewhere around there. And now we see in John the Baptist, he does lose his life. And by the way, how did they treat Jesus? He was persecuted. He was rejected. He suffered. And he was crucified. He was killed in the most gruesome form of punishment of that time. So here's the conclusion, guys. It's always good to make sure we have application. Suffering precedes glory. Suffering precedes glory. There is not a crown without a cross. John 15, 20, Jesus said, If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 1 Peter 4 that Israel read earlier, don't be surprised by the fiery trials as if something strange was happening to you. I'm paraphrasing. If you're insulted for the name of Jesus, you're blessed because the Spirit of God rests upon you. Let's bring it to us. As God's people suffer and sacrifice, the gospel advances. Guys, listen to me. There's no plan B. The gospel of Jesus Christ advances through the suffering and sacrifice of God's people. Who do we pray for today, Tom? Missions moment? Greg, what's he battling with right now? Malaria, typhoid, sick struggling where's he at he's in Uganda it's not easy taking the gospel pray for your brother pray for Kilby she's battled a lot of sickness too Tertullian in the second century one of our early church fathers he said this the blood of the martyrs is the seedbed of the church the blood of the martyrs is the seedbed of the church you know the more that they were persecuting and killing the Christians, the more Christianity grew. So by the way, one thing about America right now, I mean, I understand it's difficult and hard and God can bring a refreshing and a renewal and reformation and revival. And we don't know exactly how he's going to do that. But suffering is good because that's when the gospel shines forth the brightest. The gospel is of utmost importance and must be understood rightly. Right understanding of the gospel is rooted in the Old Testament. Are you ready? Are you willing to 
suffer for the gospel? Are you willing to be rejected in conversations? Not because you're being mean, okay? I'm not talking about self-righteous, arrogant, hateful, prideful Christianity. But sometimes that does happen. Okay, I'm not, I'm not talking about that at all, of a wrong proclamation of the gospel. I'm talking about you're loving people, filled with humility, filled with kindness, filled with love, and you are still hated for it. Romans 1.16 I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. You see this morning, when God saves you by his amazing grace through the power of the gospel, it changes every fiber of your being. It's the song in your heart. It's everything that you are. It's what you eat, drink, and breathe. And I get it. We still struggle with sin. And if you're anything like me, you're striving to love the gospel, and yet you're like, ah! Why am I like this? Why do I think this way? Why did I say that? Lord, please forgive me. And you're constantly having to apply the gospel to your own heart and your own life. Like just talking, texting with my dear sister, Miss Irma. So concerned about her nephew. Why? Because she loves the gospel. It's more than just the physical stuff. It's the soul's men and women, boys and girls. All right, let's stand and let's pray. Lord, please forgive us. Lord, I start with myself. My heart is so dull and so weak at times. So satisfied with earthly things. God, please forgive me. Root that out of me. And I pray that for my church family. God, help us to love the gospel more than anything else. Jesus, as you were teaching these disciples the beauty and the truth of the gospel, it wasn't about your miracles. It wasn't about your healing, even though that manifested how amazing you are. It was the miracle of salvation, the miracle of a new heart, the work of the gospel, the cross for the foundation of the world, the plan of redemption. God, it hasn't changed today. Lord, we know that you can still heal today. We praise you for that. We thank you for that. But God, help us not get focused on those things. And then, Lord, help us with the selfishness in our own hearts so easily wrapped up in ourselves. God, forgive us, change us. Help us to apply the gospel to our own hearts today and to share it with someone else. And it's in the wonderful name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Let's uh, worship the Lord through song.